you have a Bible with you, please turn in your Bible to the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. This morning, I hope to begin with you, or I w- will begin with you, a series of sermons on this chapter, working through this chapter piece by piece, that I anticipate will um, take us about f- five weeks. So we begin uh, this, this morning with a sermon on the first five verses of John 17, but we'll read from the whole chapter at this point. John 17, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people you have, that you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but you are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me before, because you loved me, because because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know, know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The text for the sermon is the first five verses. Maybe we'll just read those once more to have them fresh in our minds. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Beloved in Jesus Christ, the text of our sermon this morning, as I've mentioned, is the first five verses of a very special prayer of our Lord Jesus. This isn't the Lord's prayer that he taught us, but the Lord's prayer that he made for us. It's not the Lord's prayer which he presented to us as our pattern the Lord's Prayer, which we're maybe more familiar with, but it's the Lord's Prayer which he presented for us as our privilege. Our Lord prayed it in the hearing of his disciples, and the Holy Spirit inspired John, the Apostle John, to put it down in writing for all future disciples of Christ, so that we too may benefit by hearing the Lord's Prayer. So that's what we want to do now with God's help this morning. Let's give our attention to Jesus' prayer as it's recorded for us here in Holy Scripture for our benefit. I summarize the message as follows. Jesus seeks the Father's glorification by praying for his own glorification. And to unpack this message, we'll consider first Jesus' glorification by the Father how the Father glorifies Jesus, and second, Jesus' glorification of the Father, how Jesus glorifies his Father. First, Jesus' glorification by the Father. We read in verse 1 that Jesus began this prayer when he had spoken these words. 
These words are what's recorded for us in chapters 13 through 16 of John's Gospel. These words are what Jesus had been saying to his disciples as they ate their last Passover meal together. They were words which Jesus spoke to prepare his disciples for what was about to happen now that his hour had come. And so we read at the beginning of this section in John chapter 13, John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is, as it were, the title or the heading over this section from chapter 13 through 17. And how did he love them? Well, he washed their feet a sign of the washing he will obtain for them through the cross. He gave them a new commandment, that they love one another as he is loving them by going to the cross. And he encouraged them to believe in him and not let their hearts be troubled, because he is the way to the Father and the truth and the life. And he promised to send his Holy Spirit to them to be their helper. And he ended these words by saying in chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now when Jesus had spoken these words to the disciples, he turns to his Father in heaven and he prays, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus begins his prayer to the Father by saying, the hour has come. So what is this hour that he speaks of? Well, if we were to read through the whole of the Gospel of John, we would come across that phrase a number of times, the hour has come. The first time was at the wedding feast in Cana. In chapter 2, verse 3, Jesus said to his mother, woman, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then in chapter 7, verse 30, and chapter 8, verse 20, twice John explains that no one arrested Jesus because his hour had not yet come. But then, beginning in chapter 12, verse 23, it changes. There, Jesus announces, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has now come. For what? Says Jesus, for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is what Jesus' hour is all about. It's the hour in which he will be glorified. And the same thing is implied in what what John said in chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to his Father. So what did Jesus' hour involve? His departure out of this world to the Father. Well, this departure to the Father is parallel to Jesus' glorification by the Father that he prays for in our text. That's evident from verses 4 and 5 of our text. Look at verse 4 and 5. Father, I glorified you on earth, that is, below 
And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, which is above, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus' departure to the Father and his glorification with the Father involved the same movement out of this world below and into the world above. For the Father to glorify the Son is to raise him up into the Father's own presence. So this is what Jesus' hour is about. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be exalted to glory. And so Jesus prays, Father, glorify your Son. Meaning, take me to be with you in your glorious presence. So the Son asks to be exalted to the glory that he shared with the Father before the world existed, to the glory that he lay aside when he took on humanity. But for Jesus to be glorified by the Father involves more than this too. When Jesus prays here to be glorified, not only does he have in in mind the end of that glorification, but also the means Well, what is the means of Jesus' glorification? It's the suffering and death on the cross. This, too, is included in Jesus' prayer to be glorified by the Father. That will become more apparent if we consider how Jesus speaks elsewhere in John's Gospel about being lifted up. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 14. John chapter 3, verse 14. Listen to what Jesus says here. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, this verse can also be translated, as Moses exalted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be exalted The word for lift up and exalt is the same word. It can mean either. In John 3, verse 14, for Jesus to be lifted up has this double meaning, actually. When Jesus says that he must be lifted up, he means first that he must be lifted up upon the cross. But also secondly, that he must be exalted to heavenly glory. So on the one hand, for Jesus to be lifted up can refer to what we might normally think of as his exaltation, his ascending and being seated in glory. But on the other hand, for Jesus to be exalted can also refer to what we might normally think of as the utmost point of his humiliation, his death on the cross. And that's just how it is in our text when Jesus prays to be glorified by the Father. When Jesus prays to be glorified by the Father, he prays that he may now complete the task for which the Father has sent him. What was the task that the Father had given the Son? It was the task for which he had been given authority. The task of obtaining eternal life for those the Father had given him. In verse 2 and 3 he prays, Father, glorify your Son since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The Father has sent the Son into the world, and he has given the Son two things, authority 
and a people. First, he's given them authority over all people, authority over all flesh. And second, he's given him a certain number of people, all whom you have given him. Well, for what reason has the Father given these people to the Son? That the Son may give this people eternal life in the knowledge of himself and in him of the true God. Our Savior is speaking here in these verses about the eternal purpose and plan of our triune God for the salvation of his chosen people through Christ. So Jesus prays here in our text that the Father would now fulfill that plan, that he would fulfill the purpose for which he had sent his Son, that he would secure salvation for the sake of his elect. And the context in which Jesus prays this makes it clear that the chief means by which God's plan of redemption must be fulfilled is by the redeeming death of His Son. Or in the words of Jesus to Nicodemus again, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So in summary, this then is Jesus' prayer to be glorified by the Father. In the first place, it's a prayer that ultimately he may be lifted up to the exalted glory of his Father's presence in heaven. But in the second place, and at the same time, it's a prayer that he may be lifted up upon the cross as the means to that glorification. Now the good news of the gospel is that both of these prayers have been answered. And that for the benefit of all who are united to Christ by true faith. Jesus ascended to the Father's presence and glory by way of the cross. The Father crowned the Son's obedience unto death by raising Him up to a place of greatest honor. He seated Him at the right hand of His throne in glory. In the words of Ephesians 1, verse 20 through 22, He raised Him up from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion that is on earth, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. So you see that because God has answered this prayer of Jesus to be glorified, We who belong to his body, the church, have in him a king more glorious than all earthly rulers and powers. Let us then not be ashamed to acknowledge this Jesus, our crucified, risen, and reigning Lord, as our king. Let's not be ashamed to acknowledge Jesus as our king. Let's rather be bold to confess his name before the world and among his people. Whether you're at home with your family, at work or school, among your friends or co-workers, or out in the public square, be bold to extol the praises and power of Jesus, your King. Ye servants of God, your Master, proclaim and publish abroad His wonderful name, the name all victorious of Jesus, extol. His kingdom is glorious and rules over all. 
And not only was Jesus exalted to glory above us, he was also exalted for us as our representative. When Jesus rose and ascended to the Father's right hand, he did so as the head of his body, the church. So just as Paul could write in Ephesians 1 that God raised Jesus and seated him in the heavenly places, so also he can write a little bit later in Ephesians 2, verse 6, that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is a very practical implication for how a Christian can view suffering and humiliation in this life. We may view it in light of the fact that in Christ we have already passed through this veil of tears and shame, and we have been crowned with glory and honor in Him. That doesn't take the pain away, but it does put it in a glorious long-term perspective. Jesus' glorification by the Father is the basis of our future glorification because he was glorified as our mediator, our head. In him, believers have been exalted as heirs of heavenly glory with him. Therefore, we may endure suffering in the hope of future glory. We turn now to our second point to focus this morning, Jesus' glorification of the Father. Jesus doesn't pray to be glorified for his own sake only. He prays to be glorified for the Father's sake chiefly. That is, for the sake of his Father's glory. Look at the end of verse 1 again. Father, glorify your Son. For what purpose? That the Son may glorify you. Jesus' prayer that the Father may glorify him is at the same time a prayer that he may glorify the Father. Now, the first thing to notice about Jesus' prayer to glorify the Father is what he brings in as a supporting consideration in verses 2 and 3. Notice how Jesus appeals to the fact that the Father has commissioned him to bring eternal life to his chosen people. Verse 2, glorify me since... You have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given me. This is, as it were, on the forefront of Jesus' mind as he prays he may be glorified that the Father may be glorified. His people are on his mind. This is why he's praying this prayer at this time. Because the Father commissioned him for this purpose, that he may give eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. And how is it that Jesus will fulfill this commission? By glorifying his Father through his death on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross will bring life to his people. As he said in John 3, 15, the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. But Jesus' death on the cross will also bring knowledge to his people the knowledge of the true God and of his Son. And in the mind of Jesus, these two are parallel. Eternal life and knowing God are equivalent. 
So when people believe in the crucified one and behold in him and in his crucifixion the love of God to sinners, then they come to know God. They come to know, they come to the knowledge of God and Christ, which is eternal life. So this then is how Jesus prays he may glorify the Father. He prays that he may fulfill the Father's commission, that he may go to the cross and display the splendor and glory of God's justice and mercy for sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now the second thing to consider about how Jesus glorifies the Father is in verse 4 of our text. Take a look at verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Notice the contrast between this verse and the next. I glorified you on earth, in other words, below. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, in other words, above. Now, the contrast here isn't between previous work that Jesus has completed and his cross work that lies just ahead. Rather, the contrast is between the glory that Jesus has brought to the Father on earth and the glory that he asked the Father to give him in heaven. And this helps us to see from verse 4 that the work that Jesus accomplished on earth must be considered as a whole. It includes the whole work of redemption that Jesus accomplished, from his incarnation to his ascension. Jesus is speaking here as if what is future is already finished. It's as good as done. You have another example of him speaking this way in verse 12. While I was with them, while I was with my disciples, I kept them in your name, and so on. He speaks as if he's already left them. And similarly in verse 4, he speaks as if the whole of the work he's been given has already been accomplished in full. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. For our Lord, as he prays to the Father, his work is as good as done. He has no intention of turning back. And in fact, he has authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. As he says in John 10. He will finish the work the Father has given him. And so he prays as if it's done. And that tells us that he'd entirely submitted himself to the Father's will that he would go to the cross. And at the cross, he would cry out, It is accomplished, as he gave up his spirit and lay down his life. You see, the same word that's translated accomplished for verse 4 of our text is translated finished in chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus cried out, It is finished on the cross, He was declaring that he had accomplished the work that the Father had given him to do for our redemption. And Jesus says in verse 4 of our text that it was by the accomplishment of this work that he has glorified the Father on earth. So you see, Jesus' prayer that the Father may glorify him is at the same time a prayer that he may glorify his Father. And his prayer 
is that he may glorify the Father by completing the mission and accomplishing the work for which his Father has sent him. To bring glory to the Father by bringing all whom the Father has given him to the knowledge of the only true God and of Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And the Father has answered this prayer too. He has glorified himself by glorifying the Son, just as the Son has glorified him by finishing his work. Jesus' accomplishment of the work of redemption through the cross is the means of his own glorification by the Father, as we saw in our first point. But at the same time, as we've seen now in our second point, Jesus' accomplishment of the work of redemption through the cross is the means of his glorification of the Father too. In this way, through the cross, Jesus' glorification by the Father serves his glorification of the Father. The way of the cross is the way of glorifying both the Father and the Son. The Son is glorified by way of the cross because it's the way he must travel on his way to the Father. It's also the way in which he displays his love for his own. Well, the Father is glorified also by way of the cross because it was there that his steadfast love and faithfulness were put on glorious display for the world for the world to behold and believe and benefit. Jesus was lifted up and exalted on the cross that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So let us then make the Son's redeeming work on the cross also the central focus of our faith and life. Let's give this the central place in our preaching and worship services. It's so easy to let Christ and his cross drift from the center of our lives and worship. Well, other things begin to crowd him out. It might be a zeal for God's commandments. It might be a zeal for God's praises. It might be a zeal for something else. But while these things certainly have their place, it's not in the center. Let them be secondary to a zeal for God's glory in the cross of Christ. What God has done in giving his son, the gospel. Let the gospel, the word of the cross, have supremacy in all that we think and do and are. For if Jesus said so in his prayer, as we've seen that he did, then let us take it for gospel truth that this is eternal life. To know God, the only true God, and to know Jesus, the Christ, whom God has sent as our Savior, to die on the cross. May God grant each one of us here today and listening here today to truly know God as he makes himself known in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his son. Amen.